Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. In this second installment of our Saturday series on the topic of faith, doubt, and apologetics, we have part two of our discussion with Professor Mark Paustian. Be sure to check out the show notes if you'd like to be in contact with Professor Paustian. Here goes. When you talk about apologetics from a Lutheran perspective, um, what is Lutheran apologetics and how does that compare with the rest of the world? And other Christians view of apologetics. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, one of our fathers, JP Kaler, he was talking about polemics, which is arguing doctrine among Christians, I suppose. But he, he talks about that uh, argument about doctrine ought to be quote, another form of bringing good news. Otherwise, why are we doing it? You know, so it's really about the full assurance of the sinner before God that comes through the gospel and word and sacrament. You know, and I, I think the same thing about apologetics. One thing I think unique about our whole spirit is it's another form of bringing good news. So the reason to talk about hell or suffering or whatever, you know, the, the real hot button questions are, is really to get to a witness, a confession of Jesus as a savior. And um, that notion of ultimately I'm a witness is what gets lost in a lot of apologetics. So I'm a witness. Um, if I don't get busy laying a rational ground for my faith. And if it seems like a weak thing not to do that, it's it's that the power of Christ might rest on the, the witness, the apparent nothingness, nothingness of the gospel and the nothingness of of uh, the Christian confessing what I know about Jesus, you know, and that, that shows up in lots of ways that we are not envisioning the path into faith as sort of a gradual path of human reason where you reason, reason, reason more and finally you're in. Um, it's really that the Christian testimony confronts people with the true scandal of the cross that uh, without Christ we're lost forever this is the son of god who laid down his life for us all and redeemed the world and that's not something i can make palatable to you so think about a question like um what about those that never hear the gospel you know i think any thinking person has that question what about those that never hear the gospel how is this fair i think the uniquely lutheran answer is God may seem to be unfair, and in that moment, I only have the gospel. I only have Christ in the cross saying, this is who God is. I only have the gospel itself revealing his true heart. And it's the Lutheran apologist that uniquely simply testifies to that. You know, um, does that kind of make sense? I, yeah, yeah. And that we, um, we know what we, we talk about. Based on. What God reveals, and it comes, it meets our minds in a collision with everything we would naturally think or understand, and we run to the gospel. It's not that we can't answer questions people have all day long with the scriptures open. Of course we do, but ultimately, um, this is the unassailable position that I believe what I believe based on what the Word of God says. Yeah, and that it's not a not a simply faith in in my faith, and not a faith in um, this is just what I was raised in, but that this is what I have seen from the Word of God myself, mm -hmm. and kind of that that, and that kind of drives. I mean, that's that's that idea of of confidence that um, of all people, the you know the the Bible reading Christian might be the person least likely to get get emotionally involved in an argument in a detrimental way right. um, to like devolve into argumentation or a shouting match or anything like that and storming off. Um, because if you've got that, you know, this is the way I see it and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you've got that basic understanding of 
how a person comes to faith. And in my job as, as a witness, not as a, a, as a lawyer, but simply as a witness, um, then what do I have to get upset about if, if you reject what I said, or if you disagree with what I said, okay, you insult me, um, or, or maybe, maybe you have further questions, but, um, the bottom line is I'm, I'm simply here to point you to Jesus. And, and if I've done that, then I want to do that as, as well as I can, obviously. Um, but that, that is a distinctively different goal than simply addressing every, every rational or concern that comes up um, in the hopes of addressing all of them so that finally, finally you can believe. We have a very interesting experience um, in the class. Oh, there's a day where I have us kind of role play. So we're in pairs and one of you is the believer prepared to answer questions. The other is the skeptic. And uh, so we introduced some kind of challenge and say, go. And the first time we ever did this exercise in class, I let it go for about three minutes. And I thought, holy cow, what's going on here? This is crazy. And I think what we, what we all learned, we just kind of looked around at each other and holy cow, it's easy to be a skeptic. <laughs> it's easy to play that role. It just rolls off the tongue because we have the old Adam in us that is the natural born daughter. And it's just, it's just easy to, to mm-hmm. think of pot shots and complaints and so on. But then you think about why is it, so to play the role of the believer in that role play, why is it so difficult? And I, part of the answer is, you know, if faith is a gift that is sustained in me by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit, working through the means of grace, if that's what it is, then I really can't explain it to the full satisfaction of anybody. I can't explain it to myself, to my own full rational satisfaction. I am simply being kept in, kept in faith by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And so... I think the other thing about our apologetic couple things is that we th- we see our apologetics as an extension of the life of faith. See a man captivated by the cross. My my goal is just to be transparently Christian in these conversations. And so you're right. What's there to argue about? I my my I just want to show you a person captivated by the grace of God. And and so the other thing that's really that that leads into this really very um, foundational. I've been kind of developing the concept for myself of an apologetic of the word, which is if we're right about this and if we're convinced about this, then our whole objective really is to get the Bible open. Our whole objective is just to do that. Um, I remember uh, I've heard an interview on Larry King just years ago. And Larry King, of course, likes to have Christians on and ask these hard questions about suffering and hell and things like that. Um, and he's asking a question in the mode of, why do you think this is true? Why do you believe this nonsense about Christianity? And within about 20 seconds, the, the man he was interviewing somehow turned the conversation into a discussion of the scriptures. And it was just, it was remarkable. It was all of a sudden, we're not talking about what you might call epistemology. How do you know what you know? We're not, suddenly we're not talking about grounding this in with a rational foundation. Suddenly we're talking about Psalm 19 or, or Psalm 22. And I just thought that that's what I want to do. I want to figure out the ways there are to move the conversation into biblical grounds. Um, somebody has put it this way. This is kind of the academic way of saying it, that the, the number one intellectual task of the church is not um, epistemology, not 
grounding truth in a rational basis, um, which people today, I think Christians today feel tremendous pressure to do that, but I'm not buying it. But instead that the number one intellectual task of the church is hermeneutic, which just means it's living in our texts and understanding the meaning of our sacred texts. And so that really informs me in a profound way that says, I want these conversations to turn and move and to be a conversation about Psalm 22 or Psalm 16, the resurrection Psalm, or, you know, um, Gospel of Matthew or the end of Luke's gospel. I want to move the conversation to those places or just say, let's read your Bible, read your new Testament, come back to me. Let's talk, read the gospel of John, come back, let's talk. So do you know, does that make sense? The clarity of the Lutheran apologist saying, this is my task. Mm -hmm. I want the word of God to be in your mind. I want you to wait and consider it. And so someplace in there, there's room for, I think, resurrection apologetics, if we give it a careful space to say, if you think this is a fairy tale, if that's what you think, you know, I think that's kind of our intellectual climate nowadays. It's just, it strikes the mind as just some odd cultural leftover from you know, some <laughs> strange place. If that's what you think, uh -huh. then let's, you know, you gotta have a, you gotta have an opinion about what actually happened in Jerusalem um, in that first century, because it is pretty remarkable. There's, there's an awful lot of things that we have, we take in total confidence historically. They have nothing like the kind of evidence the resurrection has or a similar a line of thought goes with the New Testament. The, the phenomenal, astounding reliability of the New Testament. I, th I think there's reasons to get sharp on those things and be prepared to have that conversation, if only for the sake of our true agenda, which is you should think about this and then we crack open, you know, whatever. The letter to the Philippians, or let's say Galatians, 1 Corinthians, those letters that really aren't in any kind of doubt among scholars out there. Oh, those are taken for granted to be just what they purport to be. So let's open those letters and see what's there. So it, it's kind of like saying, if you say to the young believer, well, you just got to believe, we can do better than that. You know, when Paul is before King Agrippa, he doesn't say, well, King Agrippa, you just got to believe. He says, this didn't happen in the corner. Go go interrogate the witnesses all you want. Uh -huh. It's a real event that happened in the real world, and you get to investigate that all you want. But why? So that we can get we can get back to that simple testimony. Um, that I, again, I can't make rational to you. Luke Thompson writes, it's not that the gospel is reasonable, it's that the unreasonable actually happened. You know, there's just the <laughs> true scandal of of uh, what Jesus accomplished for us. So Sorry, Pastor, you kind of got me going yeah. there again. Oh, no, that's, time, that's quite track, all right. Hey, this I is track great. Of the original question. This is great. We're going to have a two-part episode out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up for that. That's a, and, but that's a really nice turn of phrase. Um, not that it's a rational faith, reasonable faith, but that the unreasonable happened. Um, and, and that kind of touches on, I guess, you know, the, the two main levers of, for the unbeliever, especially when they're taking their pot shots, are, you know, reason um, whether that's, that's fact, um, or, you know, rational objection of the human nature, um, and emotion, which is typically that emotional plea, you know, what about, what about that person who didn't have the chance to hear the gospel during their lifetime? And, and how do you, well, I guess this is a little bit more broad. Where do you see our, our current culture and society at in respect to reason and, and emotion? Um, when it comes to objections to the faith, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. So, yeah. If, um, if you want, like, as broad a question as you can get. No, this because... is great. I, I, I think 
I think in terms of what it's like to have faith when we live in a truly secular age. So there's a Christian philosopher named Charles Taylor that writes a book, writes about this, the, the secular age. And it's it's a, a place we've arrived only in the last couple of decades where people more and more live their life without any reference to God at all. And more and more people really think they can live a meaningful life here in the imminent frame. Um, no transcendent, nothing higher. And yet people are able to consider that meaningful in the, in the broad sense. And so what it means for the believer is, I think more and more Christians not only experience that pressure to, to lay some rational ground, which nobody can, by the way, everybody in the world lives on presuppositions. Everybody in the world believes things at a level that they can't argue. Um, and you find that out when you try to argue with somebody who doesn't happen to share your presupposition, you find out that you can't really. So it's not the Christian alone who, who maybe feels the pressure to lay a rational ground where none is possible. Um, mm -hmm. But I think everybody feels that. But the Christian, I think, more and more tends to experience their faith as something fragile. You're just living in the cultural milieu we do, living, breathing in the worldview that we breathe in. Um, they experience their faith as something fragile. And um, I think that's kind of a new thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there was a day when people could not very easily imagine the non-existence of God. I think people today found it very easy to imagine God not existing. And the Christian just sort of absorbs that and again experiences their faith as something um, that I think that they're hesitant to, I don't know, maybe argue or they're hesitant to put forward in the public arena because it just feels, you just feel the foolishness of it. Um, and of course, the apostles say that is, we know how it sounds, that gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it also happens to be the very wisdom of God, you know. So your question was, yeah, I, I don't know where people are at. I think I think there are still those that try to hold to um, a rational worldview. You know, there are those that haven't given up, they haven't seen that the the path to the ultimate truth by the path of reason, that project has failed. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of people, it's still alive. They still want to ground their truth in their own powers of reason. I think on the other hand, there's this whole thing called post-truth, right? And so in post-truth post mentality, people have kind of just given up entirely. You know, it used to be that people were skeptical about the Christian faith and they would say, give me your evidence. Now people are just cynical and they don't care what your evidence is. I just don't care. And I think that's based on just sort of autonomy. No one's going to tell me how to live. I don't care what your evidence is. And any evidence you offer me is oppressing me because I just don't care. That's just pure cynical. Mm -hmm. And and if you have that view, then your whole worldview, I think, is, is built on feeling. It is really built on emotion and group identity. And finally, it's just about which group happens to hold power, right? Yeah. So I think both are true. There's There still is that sort of scientific mentality that says we'll, we'll get there if we just reason this out and sift the evidence we'll we'll find truth that way but there's this whole other thing happening on the opposite end so that'd be my best take that that uh, a secular worldview goes those two directions i think in a way yeah definitely and i think what um what has proven most helpful at least to me in in conversation when 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 this kind of comes up is um is starting with the natural knowledge of god and and making just a blatant <laughs> i don't know if that's the word for it but a blatant assertion you know like based on what ecclesiastes 4 um 
God says that he has set eternity in the hearts of man, but man doesn't know what he's done since the beginning of time till now. And, and the way that I might phrase that is, you know what, you, you know, deep down that, um, that there's more to life than this, but you living in denial of that is totally living against what you in trying to forget what you know, deep down. And I think that's what you're really trying to struggle with is what do I do when I know that there's more to life than this? And if I keep myself busy with the next shiny object or, you know, keep, keep myself enraged with the next um, agenda coming down the pike, <laughs> then I don't have to worry about it. And, but I guess that kind of, kind of the other, the other thing that kind of touches on that then is how much, how much do you need to know to have a spiritual conversation with, with a friend? Um, when this friend has legitimate doubts and may be a little bit more forward with you than with anybody else. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what you just said is a good starting point that um, regardless of how people might report their reasons for not believing, which tend to be about suffering or they tend to be about intellectual troubles they have or tends to be about just how they want to live their life. People report their unbelief in those ways. But I think the biblical view is what you said, that people are actively suppressing what they actually know on some level to be true. The the voice of their own conscience is pressing on people every day. And this is the thing God has printed on people, that there's a way we ought to live and that we are not that way. And so the notion that people are suppressing the truth, the knowledge of God may, the natural knowledge of God may sleep a little deeper in the postmodern mind because there's a lot of help out there in our culture to suppress the truth. And there's a lot of people on your side when you suppress the truth. But that's that's a yeah, an important starting point. And that is unfortunately going to wrap up part two for us on this discussion of of doubt and faith and apologetics. Be sure to tune in next week for part three, the third and final part of this discussion, where we talk about these clues to God and how does that how does that help us to discuss with somebody who has questions, as well as what Professor Pauschen has called the Columbo approach that he talks about in a book that he read recently as well. Be sure to tune in next week for part three of our interview with Professor Mark Pauschen. And again, if you would like uh, further information about him or have any questions for him, his contact info is in the show notes. Thanks for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. God bless your day.